0: Hello and welcome to Out of Office. My name's Johnny Caldor, and this is a podcast where I get to take walks with interesting people in media and find out what makes them tick. This is episode seven, which I recorded with Esther Keziah Thorpe, who at the time of recording had recently left her role at Dennis Publishing so that she could commit herself fully to her own consulting business and also to the ever growing Media Voices empire, which now includes a daily media roundup newsletter, an annual podcast awards event, and of course their own Media Voices podcast, all of which we cover in our conversation and all of which I'd recommend you check out and sign up to if you haven't already. Okay, so let's jump in and I'll see you at the end of our chat. Just before we started recording, you were telling me about this troika. I'm kind of interested in it. I mean, tell me about the structure of it and and what happened and
1: yeah, so, um, so I mean, all due credit needs to go to Nikki Simpson from the International Magazine Centre for this, because this is she, she kind of set this up. Um, and the idea is, I think she's done this as part of her business development courses, you get, um, when it works physically, you get four people in a room, and one person presents their problem, they, they get two minutes to present their problem. Um, you get two minutes to kind of ask some clarification questions, and then in real life, the person kind of turns with their back to the other three. <laughs> There but is. in virtual in in this virtual situation um they just turned off their camera and microphone so they couldn't and the whole the whole idea is you can't interrupt so people are discussing you and you're you have to really uh, listen to them and listen to what they're saying rather than joining in the conversation um and it means you know they they only get two minutes to hear your problem and it means that they don't have all this kind of context bogging them down like you just get all these different ideas coming in um so yeah, I was I was doing it with a a real mix of people, um, you know, from some large companies, some independent magazines, you literally do three hundred print copy runs. And yeah, the when you get a problem that, you know, you, you might not know the company particularly well, the the ideas people come up with when you bounce off each other is really, really interesting. Um yeah, and then the person gets two minutes after this ten minute discussion to sort of say what uh, what they took away from it and what they understood you to have said, which can also be really interesting. <laughs>
0: And do they do they know who's saying what?
1: Uh, yeah, they do. So so they sit there as though they were part of a call, but they they just basically you can't see them, so you can't see their reactions, and right. they can't like they're not really supposed to interrupt you or to join in in any way. So it's just it's like talk. It's, it's like you're a fly on the wall when other people are talking about you. Um, but it's, it's really, really I uh, I did the training the sort of practice run earlier with the facilitators, and it was um, it was really really useful. And people tell you about the concept, and you think sounds a bit weird, sounds a bit naff, but actually when you're doing it, it, it's really, really interesting what people come up with, when they're just bouncing ideas off and talking about about your problem. Um, so yeah, that, that, was a, that was really good.
0: Any great insights?
1: Not not that, uh, I think Nick, Nicky will be doing a piece on it, but um, it was chat, Chatham House Rules, so I won't spoil the flat. Ah, Okay.
0: Um, which I think
1: also helped, you know, people can relax and kind of really say what they think without worrying too much.
0: That's very cool. I'd love to get involved in one of those. So, is this going to be a regular thing?
1: Yeah, I think Nikki's planning another one for September sometime. Because I like everybody's doing virtual events at the moment, so there's a lot on. Um, so yeah, she'll she'll be doing another one because I think the feedback was really good from it.
0: So how are you getting on anyway? So I, I, we haven't really talked about you. You you just left Dennis.
1: I have just left Dennis. Uh, I don't know when you're planning to put this out, but I've just left Dennis. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not not the best time to quit your job the global pandemic but um it was the right time and actually I have managed to make my way through a massive to-do list this week um m- most of it just tidying up media voices stuff that I've not had time to do for ages so that's been actually quite nice just have a bit of a breather bit of a a reassessment um yeah and the plan now is just to um reach out build up the freelance work um continue reading continue writing um, I've got a little bit of plan to a little bit more training so a bit of um, Adobe's got some really good courses online so again I don't think there's ever going to be an opportunity like this to actually upskill a little bit which sounds really mm. naff but at the same time um, yeah, I think, I think the work's going to start coming in hopefully when publishers start ramping up again so let's take the opportunity to learn some new things now um, and then of course lots of walks
0: which idea, you're not actually. joining me on. <laughs> no I know not this time. So, so yeah. tell me about tell me about Media Voices because it's already starting to grow in terms of its scope, right? It's gone from a podcast to a newsletter. What's the what's the big what's the big idea? What's the big goal?
1: Gosh, um, so this is um, I think probably some background first. Uh, Chris and I actually started this when we were working together at the media briefing, just because we were like, media briefing needs a podcast. We both wanted to do it. Let's just kind of let's get recording and see what we can do, um, and then. So seven or eight months into that, it was starting to pick up listeners, starting to go quite well. Um, they sold us. Uh, not not me and Chris personally. The, um, yeah. the it, it was actually the events, so it was the British Media Awards and, and the events side of the business that they sold right. um, yeah. to Haymarket, who sort of weren't interested in the editorial. So that was me and Chris out on our arses. Um But one of the things we said is, well, if Haymarket don't want the podcast, can we kind of adopt it? Um, you know, what, what would be the conditions around that legally? Um, and Neil and Rory were like, yeah, that's fine. Um, you'd have to rebrand, you know, make sure it didn't have the same name and the same colours and stuff. So we branded it Bright Orange, uh, called it Media Voices and invited Peter to join us, who um, had been the editor at large previously, so he'd sort of done occasional bits of work with us. Um, and actually that, he he provides a really nice balance, because Chris and I can both get like a little bit kind of um, like shiny new thing, isn't this amazing, or... Yeah, and and Peter's just this kind of cynical voice. It's like, been in this business for thirty years, guys. This isn't it's you. Wrong <laughs> <your name. laughs> um, but yep. I, yeah, and and the, the three of us are actually kind of a really nice balance in that sense to each other. Um, and that just it bumbled along for about. I know, it was two thousand sixteen. We set it up. So it was about two years. It, it just sort of bobbed along, and then it just got to say stage that the three of us were like, we can either keep taking up our Sundays with this you know it's quite a lot of work um you know it continues to grow steadily and just not really do much with it or we can actually put a bit of effort in and try and see if we can kind of take it to the next level um and yeah that that didn't really happen (laughs) probably for another probably until about mid yeah mid last year um And what then happened is we had this idea... We we were like, right, how can we actually reach a wider audience? And for some reason, that conversation ended up coming coming around to let's launch an awards. And I'm not really sure where the connection came in with that, but it was... We spotted a bit of a gap, so we thought, let's launch an awards. And the run-up to that kind of demonstrated to us that actually we did have a far more solid audience than we thought we did. Like, the number of people that just responded, we did bare minimum marketing and stuff. And we got people like The Economist entering, people like The Times... Dennis with some really amazing podcasts We so were like, Okay, we, we think we've actually hit something here. Um and then yeah, the the event happened in March this year just before lockdown. And afterwards we were kind of like, right, we actually need to to dedicate some time to this and there's a lot of potential in this to make it a bigger business. Um, which is yeah, the primary reason I'm kind of hoping to dedicate a lot more time to it now and just, just get it to that next level. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that's that's tough. You know, we've got a, we've got a long road ahead of us um, and we're just looking at the moment and saying we talk all the time about media companies and how media companies are making money and supporting themselves and actually we're going to now try and take a few of those ideas and apply them ourselves yes. um, rather than just having it as something we do in our spare time. So that's interesting. We've got we've got a proper business plan now, which is quite scary.
0: <laughs> but when And when you say um, it, it was bumbling along what how many listeners did you have and how many listeners how many listeners do you aspire to have
1: i'm not revealing that nobody ever reveals their podcast listener numbers <laughs>
0: uh-huh. well, um, because I, I think well maybe you're in an, you're in an interesting spot here and as you say you're basically now trying to practice what you've preached yeah and i think it's 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 so hard for companies to know what what success is with a podcast
1: yeah i think I think for us, we we realised quite early on, it's a niche, we are never going to get tens of thousands of listeners, nor would we ever aspire to, you know, we, we chat about stuff that only a tiny fragment of the population are interested in, Yeah. Um, so for us it was much more important, and, and I advise this to anybody who, who is launching their own podcast, you need to know your audience, and ours is mid to senior level publishing execs, people in publishing and media, and what we know from our newsletter list is that we have that audience. Um so it's not it's not big. It's never going to hit, you know, huge huge numbers and it's never going to hit the numbers that we could do, you know, add reads and ad slots and make any decent money from that. But yeah. it does it is the quality of people that we can approach companies who want to do our conversations episodes and say we've got an audience like this. Um if you want to reach them, we know who they are. You know, we've got people from Google, we've got people from Content Nas, we've got all these really senior people that turn up to our events and open our newsletters and that for us is far more important than the numbers yeah um and and that was actually one of the things that came through we we were reading a lot of the entries for the awards as well and you you, people tended to go either way they're either like we're going for the numbers and those tended to be the consumer publishers they're like you know we're going for the big numbers we're going for the kind of monetization through ad reads and others who were like you know, we're doing an engineering podcast, we're never going to get big numbers, but we're, we're going to get the right audience. I mean, that that's media in a nutshell, right? So
0: Absolutely, yeah. So, <laughs>
1: yeah, that, that's so our that, focus.
0: Okay, and then, I, look, I, I know you've been talking for a long time about reader revenue, subscriber revenue, so on, from a kind of analyst standpoint. So then how do you see stuff like that now as you're building a business? Is that an aspiration at some point?
1: Uh, we've actually just launched it. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, we're trialling uh I don't know if you come across I, I don't I don't have to say because you, you don't say it coffee, but it's like Kofi. Um, yes, I
0: have seen this. Yeah, so
1: it's a little bit like Patreon, but at the moment we're just we're just trialling a one off thing and that's just kind of like a bias of coffee. Um we might change that to pint depending on <laughs> how things go. Uh, but yeah, literally that is that is like a couple of days old. Uh, we're just gonna see how that goes and see if we can get kind of recurring re- reader revenue that way well listener revenue I suppose isn't it um but then when lockdown is lifted uh, we're actually going to go into training um and just kind of try and do workshops and and our the area that we seem to be doing particularly well in is if you want to launch a podcast we'll come in and we'll talk to you or we'll run workshops around how you can get started or how you can level up you know identifying your audience identifying what you can do that's not just what everybody else is doing Uh, yeah and just just Try and, I mean I don't I don't think that's really revenue necessarily in the same way, but it's that's going to our audience and saying we can help you with this, pay us. Um,
0: and and does that mean then? But you you, because that's quite a different sort of business. Do you do you continue to be kind of media analysts or some form of yeah some form of media analysis forever? Is that the kind of that's the model that you're still going to pursue?
1: Yeah, I mean. Again, this, this is kind of what we're trying to figure out at the moment is that for so long, the podcast is a way for us to almost market our own expertise. Um, nice. So, you know, all three of us have got quite a bit of work off the back of it because people listen to us and they're like, okay, you know, we want you to write a piece about that. Um, I, I write a lot for What's New in Publishing on the kind of stuff we talk about. Um, and I know Peter and Chris, you know, also write for a lot of publications. So it, it's taking it from a platform to promote us to actually, we're now building our products around that, that podcast mm. Um so yeah it's difficult to say at the moment how where that'll go um but we're yeah we're we're just evaluating that at the moment, and again, like I said, it's that inflection point we've got a number of different paths we can take, and at the moment we're just i don't want to say we're throwing everything out there and seeing what sticks, but we're we're just trying a few different things and saying you know what what actually fits best with what people need from us and it's the question we're constantly trying to ask ourselves is how can we be of value to not just our listeners, but the people that get our newsletter that, that want to come to us for information about podcasts, what can we offer them that's of value and how can we make that clear? Mm. Because that's, that's how all the best publishers do it, right? So
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's just, it's just keeping that audience in mind constantly.
0: And if you had to distill, you know, in a number of steps or handy tips or whatever, what, you know, what, what makes a, a successful podcast, what, what would that be?
1: oh gosh where do I start um <laughs> I think I think what I'd put as number one I think first and foremost you have to be doing something that nobody else is doing and again there's so many crossovers with with general media here if, if you're writing about the same stuff everybody else is you're not going to stand out if you're talking about the same stuff everybody else is you're not going to stand out so it's what can you offer listeners that um that nobody else is or or what can you offer listeners in in a way that nobody else is doing it um and i think the second thing is you just got to keep going um there are so 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 many podcasts that do like seven episodes and then just stop because they've not got 10,000 listeners yeah and it's like it, it takes i'm trying to it's it's like a it's a it's a marathon, not a race kind of analogy like it it it's a it's a long haul to get that dedicated audience, but once you've got them, they're hugely i like, I know I've spoken to you plenty of times about the value of audience on different platforms, but one of the things that people mm. always say to us is, "Oh, I've only got a thousand listeners, and it's like you have a thousand people listening to you for half an hour a week, spending half an hour like literally they they have your voice in between they have your brand in between their ears, and yet you think. Like you think ten thousand people on your site for for a minute and a half is a great stat, and there's there's this huge issue with perception of of value in audiences that I think if anybody's looking to start a podcast or is worried that their podcast listener numbers aren't high enough, it's like remember what the time people are dedicating to spending with you. If that's thirty minutes on a Monday, great, you are winning. Um, better that than loads and loads of anonymous unnamed people just flying through your site.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we need a new metric, don't we? I mean, it's the same. We talk about this all the time, you know, on on the, kind of the whole app world where people are spending 25 minutes, on, you know, each session, average session. Can you duration imagine if you minutes. had that
1: on your site? Like people
0: no, no people... It's nuts. <laughs> but it's I suppose nuts.
1: I suppose that's where that's where this whole thing of engagement comes from. It's been so overused that people try to avoid it at the moment, just because, makes people want to be sick. But it is the idea of <laughs> you know. It, I, there is no other word except for engagement. It's just the quality of engagement and yeah, that, that, that time and valuing that time that people choose to give you. Even if, even if they're doing a run at the same time or cooking dinner at the same time, that's fine. They, they are still listening and they are still yeah. uh, engaged. I should have a swear jar for engaged.
0: How long were you at Dennis?
1: I was at Dennis three, uh, yeah, just, just shy of three years.
0: And so how do you leave that company? What I mean is, how is, it, how is it right now? How is it, how is it faring these days?
1: No, it's, it's doing very, very well. And actually, the, um, the section I left... So, so I joined it three years ago because they were looking to set up um, a lead generation a section of the business, which at the time was literally just me. <laughs> um, and that's now grown to... I mean, there's a massive team. There's, um, there's a huge sales team. There's a huge delivery team. There was uh, the team I was on was like a a content marketing team to help deliver those campaigns, which was, I mean, there there were three there were three of us when I left, so it's really grown to become. um, It's a really significant portion of the business now for for Dennis, and it's one of those things that's actually it's remained quite stable during the crisis as well, um, because businesses still want leads and they still want the help Dennis can give them in generating them. So I left it in great shape. I'm not saying (laughs) it's anything to do with me, (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's been it's been. Quite a quite a time of change, I think, for the business. The
0: thing that I guess I, I I get excited about, as far as Dennis are concerned, is you know stuff like the Week Junior. You know, you you hear success stories like that, you know, massive growth of this brand new title in print and in digital. I mean, it kind of gives you hope, doesn't it?
1: It does, and I think that's one of the things Dennis is really good at doing. It's really good at identifying where stuff is going to go well and investing a lot of resources in it to really help it get to that next stage. I mean, like the Week Junior US, um, I think Anna was saying on um, on Tuesday, they've got 30,000 subscriptions, 11 issues in, which is amazing. And, and the work they're doing is just amazing. But that's that's a much sexier side of the business. Like the Week and the Week Junior were, you know, they got all the exciting stuff. Um, I, I don't want to say the stuff I was working on was drier, but it was definitely a lot less sexy, which was... Uh-huh. Um, uh, lead generation for technology so um, we would get clients come to us like Dell and Microsoft saying you know, they want 150 leads and we would um, use the the site and the content we've got to help generate those leads from our audience so it's not quite as exciting but it was very very good money um, <laughs> yeah and it, it seems to be I know what Dennis were I don't think I'm allowed to say this now uh, Go on. I think we are because I think, yeah, okay, right. Um, what what Dennis had done uh, late last year is they'd actually hired somebody to head up um, this portion of the business, um, and they've they've sectioned it off. So they've they've launched this brand called Nouse, uh, like mouse, but Nouse. Yeah. Um, and what that is doing is essentially taking that model that we've got on the B two B pillar and applying it, like looking at the rest of the business, and saying where can we apply this? So we've got you know we've got a really strong financial audience, and there's a lot of money in financial lead generation um we've got a really strong automotive audience can we do anything similar there around some of the things that they do um i see it was it was just kind of again it was at that inflection point where it was really looking to grow and to to build out that expertise and it's it's not as exciting as subscriptions um but it's it's a really really interesting way of um i think it's it's a different way of monetizing your audience and it's it goes back to the whole first-party data thing and and knowing who you've got on your site and knowing how you can monetize that. Apparently, lead generation was really big in the 80s, but I wasn't born then, so... (laughs) I don't know. Everything comes full circle.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So something... um, Something we were talking about back in October, I guess, now... Do you remember our customer day? Well, we had a few debates, right? But one which I'd I'd love to pick your brains about, because you've been talking to a lot of people about these sort of things over the last few months, but is the whole subscription versus micropayments, or what are we calling them now? Casual payments, I think is oh, is is the the phrase that Don likes to use. Um, where are you on that right now? Because it's kind of it's, it's it's constantly changing, right? I'd be interested to hear the sort of conversations you've been having recently?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's much more of a spectrum now than it ever used to be. And the reason I say that is because you've got... Everybody always says, oh, you know, micropayment's like 10p for an article. I, I actually don't think that's where a lot of publishers are looking. If publishers are looking to kind of gate that kind of content, or, or not even gate to, to get that kind of money, it's much more that Guardian donation style model where people might give three pounds rather than 10p for access to an article um and i think so so the the micropayments thing is is never going to really get anywhere at the moment because that there is so much friction in the technology if, if i'm going to pay 10p for an article i'm not going to spend five minutes setting up my credit card on it like that is that's a complete waste of time um what that would need is somebody like google or facebook unfortunately to implement some kind of technology where you've already paid for it you've already got your account set up and you can it either does it automatically or um you know you've already got your account set up and you can just hit tip um and that is not there yet google did trial it late last year and abandoned the idea which is incredibly frustrating i mean that
0: happened very quietly right i only heard about that kind of after the fact
1: I only read about it, like, four weeks ago. Right. Um, exactly, And it yeah. was like, oh, this, this this did happen in December and Google decided to scrap it. Um, but it, that is, you know, I, I've seen so many... Every time I write about this, I get all these micropayments vendors being like, we've got the solution. And it's like, well, great, you might have the solution, but unless you get two or three billion people on your solution, it ain't going to take off. WeChat works with micropayments because WeChat has got the scale that they need to make it work, which is... Why I say only Facebook or Google could do it, um, and Fa- Facebook's kind of moving into that area, but I don't really want them to win because, no. you know, especially not this week. But then there's there's kind of all the stuff in between. There's the there's this idea of sort of donations, one-off donations of three or four pounds, which I think is much more where I think publishers are going to end up finding a sweet spot. But again, people always say. Oh, you know, the Guardian's seeing great success with this. We're going to try and implement a donation-style model on our website. And the issue with that is that the Guardian, the conversion rate for the Guardian is about 0.06% if you do the maths. So they they've got 60,000. No, I think it's 600,000 one-off donations. Well, that's yes. great, but they have millions and millions and millions of page views. So that's the kind of scale you need to be thinking of. Yep. If you've got 10,000 page views, you're not going to you're not going to get 100 contributors.
0: And, um, and also, I think that The Guardian is a very specific brand. You know, you can get behind The Guardian. It feels like, you know, you're supporting a cause. It's harder yeah. for other brands you, to do that, I would say.
1: If you, are, if you are any more niche than that, and if you... It, this, this comes back to the audience question again. You need to be looking at converting that into recur, like It needs to be a, a supporter play, recurring support, even if that's not necessarily a subscription, so Galdem have actually just launched this where they've got a, a, they've got these different tiers of support. You you don't necessarily get much extra for it, there there are perks, but mm-hmm. um they've got you know 4 pound a month or 8 pound a month or pay it forward options. And and that kind of thing where you're saying we'd like you to contribute regularly but not necessarily a full subscription fee. I think is actually that's a, that's a sweet spot for media that knows who their audience are and who knows that they're targeting a, a smaller but particular segment. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's really interesting. I mean, so many publishers are doing so many really interesting things around it. It it it's going to be an interesting space over the next few years. But I know I know a lot are quite reluctant just to go straight over the paywall. So we'll we'll see how that mm. works out. I guess.
0: I mean, it depends so much on the content, doesn't it? It feels it feels so much easier for a niche publisher to to charge for the content because it's just simply not available elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. We're we're seeing. Um, much more interest, I have to say, from some of the bigger publishers to get to get into the the membership type propositions. I know we go on endlessly about Tortoise, but it's not just Tortoise. You know, I, we're we're now kind of in the middle of projects with some of the bigger publishers, and it's really exciting. You know, it's it's there's definitely a sense that big businesses who Albeit had a split revenue model, were kind of dependent on the advertising revenue, and realised that that's so challenged right now that they are, you know, properly like hiring teams and putting senior people in charge of reader revenue um, for the first time in decades. And so, at least from from the little bit of the market we see, I think over the course of the summer, there's going to be a whole bunch of launches. Um, which will be more around membership and, and delivering something. And this is of- where
1: I think that the crunch point comes because at the point you're offering that, you need to have you need to have content people can't get elsewhere. Right. And I think especially especially when you get to things like you know the generalist women mags, the fashion mags, the the kind of much more generalist content. Um, I don't I don't want to like trash any brands in particular, but you think. If you're doing... If, if your content is around, you know, 10 lipsticks to wear over summer, that could apply to any one of about 50 women's brands, right? What, what what are you doing differently that is going to convince people to pay for that?
0: Yeah. Well, well, part of um, it is... Part of it's access, right? It doesn't have to be content. Yeah. It can be other exclusive stuff.
1: But that's why a lot of them have fallen over recently because, you, you know, the, the celebrity in the women's magazine used to be based on this... This premise that they had access to a celebrity, and you would get to—oh, re- no, we are there's a train. Uh, you would get to read um, all about the celebrity's life, and that—that's the only way you could then do that. But yes. Instagram's destroyed that. No, Social completely. media has completely destroyed that—that that exclusive access. So it's—I um, mean, yeah, you know, this is where you get um, companies like Pop Sugar that are going into those kind of subscription boxes and and all the kind of um, stuff surrounding that. But I, I think. I know when I read that Condé Nast were going to put paywalls up across all of their brands, I think it was by the end of 2020, I, I sort of went, that was going to work for some of them. Some yes. of them, that is a really, really good proposition. But others, you're really going to struggle to, to sell the audience, that you're actually giving them anything that is so different it's worth paying for.
0: Well, I think the other, the other challenge is the, the other type of access was access to exclusive events. And so, and now... And well, shit. that's gone
1: down the toilet, hasn't <laughs> <I know>. it? <laughs>
0: I mean, that's, that's just the worst timing. So, and, and again, we've been working on a lot of event stuff all ready to go, and it's just waiting now. It's just waiting. And, and so, I mean, I guess the, the good news here is that it is going to start again. You know, okay, it's going to start, and things are going to be slightly different, but we are going to have events again. There's no, there's no doubt, right, that these things are going to come back. So, it's just a case of timing at this point.
1: Yeah, I was actually, I was um, at a FIPS conference it was supposed to be in Portugal in September and they've taken that virtual, which I was gutted about because I, I had September pinned as like, I was going to get on a plane, go to Portugal, spend four days on the beach and then go to the conference, but not anymore.
0: I was looking forward to that one. I mean, that, that one for me in particular is the sort of conference where for us, um, we kind of lose the whole value of that event by not being there, you know? I mean, the content's great, it really is great content, but for us, we're there because we want to meet people and we want to talk to people. Um, and, that, and
1: that's that's why I think there's so, so much of the challenge comes in with virtual events, because you, apart, I mean, you lose all the overhead costs, but you've still got the people costs and you've still got the effort to put them together. And it's very, very difficult at the moment to convince anybody to pay to attend them, because they're sitting at home in their, on their sofa and they're like, well, why should I pay, you know, a couple of hundred dollars to, to attend an yeah. event? Yeah. Um and you you've got the same thing for sponsors. The sponsors are like, well we go to meet people and you can't convince them to meet people. So it's how how do you monetize a virtual event properly and effectively? Um, it's
0: inter- but but to the other thing, right? I mean, if I if I just kind of think about it from our perspective, it just occurs to me that there's two sides to that equation, right? On the one hand, the big event organizers are realizing that there's no way of making money from these events, and yet there is a, there's a, there's a certain degree of cost to it. But then there are people like us, and when I say us, I mean you know, PugPig and, and, and you know, other companies that we work with, that can throw up events pretty quickly and generate quite I mean, a big audience. Had you had your
1: subscription one, right? So, yeah, so that's yeah. straight away, you, like, you, you don't need that middleman of an event organiser to put on the event for you that you then go and sponsor, you can just chuck it up yourself.
0: Yeah, I mean that uh, we were we were actually quite surprised at how how easy it was to generate an audience. We we basically we I mean it's good content, right? But and, and that's obviously the most important thing that you've actually got something worth, you know, consuming at the heart of this. But honestly, we put together a website which explained what it was, which took a little bit of effort. And then we we talked about it on LinkedIn and we sent out some emails to, you know, people we know. And We had two people sign up for the first event, you know, and, and the cool thing is that then becomes evergreen content, which we will hopefully, you know, that people will get some, some use out of for a good while. Um, and it was like, yeah, we didn't, we didn't need a venue. We, we just needed people to talk to and tell that this thing was happening and then, and they came. So yeah, it's, it's. It's definitely changing the landscape of events in that way as well, that, you know, anyone can, can throw up an event now and, and actually do a decent job of getting people to come along to it.
1: Yeah. It's a scary new world, really. But, yeah, I, I, I think people, people will want to get back to it again and people will want to get out and go to things. It's just, it's just going to be how long that takes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's going to take a while. So, that, so I have a quick question for you as well. So, in in the meantime, certainly something that we're seeing is we've got all this marketing budget, and so if I think of of, of, of you know a marketing budget from a supplier standpoint, I would say probably seventy percent of our marketing budget would go into events, kind of getting there and and you know sponsoring them and la la la. So we've got all this excess marketing budget, but also you know, we've, we're losing out on all these opportunities to to speak to people. So what are you advising companies to do with that spare marketing budget, which they, you know, they need to find another way of getting to people?
1: Well, I would say Media Voices Conversations episodes.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, Shameless <I'm> doing... plug. <laughs>
1: um, I, I, I think what you guys are in a fairly fortunate position if you've not been too badly affected by coronavirus i mean your your business revolves around getting stuff to people virtually anyway um i think most of the businesses all of that marketing spend is now going on trying to keep the companies afloat (laughs) or you know supporting furloughed staff um i think that there are very few that have i i know i've read a lot of stuff on um you know pink news and stuff have tried to get sponsors to sponsor a virtual festival and things like that and the sponsors have just said we're we we have not got the marketing spend because we're just we're freezing everything we're trying to hold everything back to make sure that we're still a business next year um yeah it's it's really difficult um because you're not again you know even publishers and probably a lot of your clients aren't in a position to go around throwing around a lot of money at the moment um and i I don't know how long it'll take for a lot of those budgets to recover
0: sure but i mean that but it's not this isn't frivolous right this is I mean marketing budgets are there for a reason they're not they're not a luxury they're absolutely required if you're gonna continue as a business so like in in the absence of other more traditional avenues for marketing people surely have to have an increased focus on digital marketing in order to to make up for that so I mean what options have they got content marketing I guess going on your podcast. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, um, I know what a lot of people are saying at the moment is everybody's going to Facebook. They've got a bit of money to spend. they okay. Facebook's a uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's um, not not an avenue I'd recommend, but Facebook has, has seen a huge uptick because people are. Resent- I mean, apart from that, they're they're offering quite a few sort of advertising credits anyway to try and encourage people to do this. Um, but a lot of people are just sitting on Facebook, not really doing a lot at the moment. So a lot of spend is going. Yeah, I mean, not not so much in this industry, but. Yeah, a lot of spenders going there. I mean, the, the other thing I'm seeing a lot of people doing is, is webinars and, and taking a lot of it into their own hands. And, yeah.
0: It just it just strikes me that, you know, when I look at it from our own kind of selfish perspective, we we there are certain avenues that we used to rely on for, for drumming up business, and they just don't exist anymore, and we have to find other ways of doing it.
1: I mean, um, I suppose, like, for you guys, wouldn't things like in publishing still be... You know, in publishing do... Um, are still doing webinars and stuff like
0: that that I'm kind of allergic to their business model I don't like <laughs> I don't like the idea of a publisher who actively removes your name from articles because you're not a paying sponsor of yeah. their journalism I th- I find that a bit distasteful
1: yeah yeah I do whereas, that. whereas
0: what's new in publishing are oh, super cool about that right they're, they're,
1: they're, they're I mean they're, they don't take any money anyway but that's because that's they have a very unique business model yeah yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. it's a um, tricky problem.
0: Oh no, it's a funny industry we're in. It's definitely a funny industry. So I have a question I really want your opinion on, which is the emergence of exclusive podcasts. So the Joe Rogan Spotify deal. Um, yeah, I'd love to know what you think about that.
1: This is a, yeah, gosh, this is a huge issue. I, I feel like there are, there are lots of people who've said things far more eloquently than I can and will um because I'm very much used to being I'm used to asking the questions not giving the answers it's much easier (laughs) (laughs) I think the the big thing here is that podcasts are almost a way of reaching out and bring certainly from the publisher's perspective Joe Rogan's like a, a whole other kettle of fish from a publisher's perspective it's about Bringing people into your brand and bringing people into other paid products, and not necessarily like if you've got a paid podcast, you you need you need a route into that from other products. So how are you going to discover it if you're, if you're not already signed up for it? Yeah. Um, and I know Empire actually launched um, about three months ago. They launched. They had uh, they did like a, a spoiler special episode every now and again, and they decided to spin that off their main podcast, which is free. And do that as an exclusive subscriber-only thing. Um, and they charged it. it was like four ninety nine a month. And they got a huge, huge backlash from it online. And they got a lot of people saying, I'm already an Empire subscriber. The podcast should be part of that subscription. Why should I have to pay... What is essentially also a Spotify subscription for two podcast episodes a month.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I, yeah, I think they just hugely misjudged the price point there. Um, and... I mean, maybe that should have been the sort of thing that they made exclusive to people who subscribed to the magazine rather than making it a separate product in itself. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the Joe Rogan thing, I saw um, I saw some stats the other day that uh, Canadians had gone into a survey of people that listened to it and said, now it's moving to Spotify, will you, will you continue listening to it? And one in four said that they wouldn't, they just wouldn't bother anymore. Um, but but that means,
0: these... well, hang on, but that means three quarters will pay for it.
1: Uh, well i suppose that's amazing i suppose spotify's got got a huge um is huge in canada anyway but you you will be able to listen to joe rogan without um paying for spotify because it, it'll just be on the spotify free tier so you'll get spotify's ads um and i think if you're joining a, a, a free service there's yeah that's no different to to most podcast services so people on my internet sense don't mind where it is but that they are you know, one in four were completely turned off by that and said, yeah, I, I won't be tuning in. Mm. And I, I don't know if that's the misconception that people think, oh, you have to pay to Spotify, pay for right. Spotify to get access. Um, but yeah, as, as far as whether there is still a free tier and you will still be able to access the podcast for free, it will just only be on Spotify. And I think the turn off of people was, I've got a podcast app, I listen to 10 of my podcasts in there and you're taking that out and expecting me to go somewhere else for that one podcast. And I think that that's going to be really tricky for... For that, and it's it's just a bit icky.
0: Do you think if you're um, it, so let's say you're a news media organisation and you, and you, and your core proposition is a subscription or a membership or something like that, do you do you think there's a model there where you have a podcast which is basically the ability for people to sample your content, but you don't? I don't know. So maybe there's a podcast series which is a, a true podcast. It's free. And yet, there's audio content as well, which is available as part of the bundle. I mean, is that acceptable, or do you think that's yeah? Equally-
1: um, there are some publishers are already doing that. I know the Telegraph do that. Uh, the Economist have got a subscriber only, or, new- or certainly we're developing a subscriber only one. Um, and that's very much again, they've they've got that front facing product, which is very much get a taste of our journalism, get a taste yeah. of our kind of um, our way of doing things. And if you like that more, we've got another podcast, but it's it's paywalled or it's, yep. it's behind our subscription wall um yeah i, th- I think f- I, d- I don't know which one which one of those was but i know i know that the telegraph and the economist have definitely done it i think the times were working on a subscriber only one and I mean, then it makes sense number- yeah absolutely it makes sense yeah, but i yeah. think that's where you know if you're starting out planning your podcast you've got to say what is the what is the kind of purpose of this is it as a marketing vehicle vehicle to draw more people into our journalism so The Athletic's are a really good example of that. Everything they do is behind a paywall. Mm. But they've said, actually, we'll put the podcast in front. And every 10 minutes, you get reminded that if you're enjoying this podcast, you'd really like The Athletic's journalism. Um, but then if, if it is a subscriber perk, and if, if you want to use it as a subscriber perk, you've got to have a pretty big audience to do that. But that's legitimate as well. But you can't then expect to get huge numbers on it. That, that, is, a, that is a vehicle to draw people in through another route. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think you just got to be clear from the start what 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 its purposes.
0: Yeah. Okay, so a technical question for you. Is it still a podcast if it's not free? Oh. <laughs> that's a philosophical question. <laughs> I know, but I I still can't, I'm still not sure what the answer is.
1: Um so I think James Cridland at Pod News would say no, it's not. Right. Um it is a it is aud- uh, audio, it is a show if it is not uh not freely available. Um Oh, Joe, I don't uh, Call it whatever you want. I'm, I'm with <laughs> that.
0: I think I'm with that. I think if, 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 if it, it's a podcast if it sits on a podcast player and it's freely available to everyone. Otherwise, it's... Yeah. It's, it's a, audio on demand, it's audio. otherwise. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. I think
0: that's um, cool. Well, you're the but, expert, so I had to ask
1: maybe, you. Maybe we'll come up with another name to describe audio on demand behind a paywall cast.
0: Oh, my God. So um, when, when's the next Troika.
1: Uh, September, I think.
0: And what? So, g- give it a plug because it sounds really interesting. Or is it a is it a super close group and no one no one's allowed to get involved unless they're invited? I
1: don't know. It's um, it's uh, it's not a super close group at all. Um, so yeah, they're be they're being run by Nikki Simpson, who does the international the International Magazine Center. So if you want to get involved, then um, Google International Magazine Center, and you'll find uh, it's got like a sign up list for that. I mean, th- that's a whole separate project in itself that she's running. Um, but that will be, I believe that's coming back in September because this one was was really successful. And yeah, it's not exclusive at all. So if you want to sign up, then do sign up. Um, I think it was it was £20 this time. So very cheapest consultation you'll ever get from yeah. experts.
0: It sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's really, really good.
0: And if people want to hear your podcasts?
1: Uh, we are at Media Voices Pod and we release new episodes with various industry figures every Monday. Or Wednesday if it's a conversations episode.
0: Which I definitely want to do. We need to talk about
1: that actually. <laughs> yes, uh, we are we are highly irreverent and not at all serious, but the interviews are great.
0: Brilliant. Well, look, it's such a shame we're not going for a walk, but we will we'll do that one next time.
1: That that felt very businessy. <laughs> it
0: did, didn't it? I know. But look, thank you. I'm going to stop recording now. So there you go. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. As the days get shorter and colder and wetter, the chances of me getting back outside for walks are becoming slimmer and slimmer. But I will make sure that I have more conversations for you in the coming month. And I'll let you know when when they're ready to go. I hopefully see you soon.